This is Publishers Weekly Radio, the authority on all things books and publishing, with everything you need to know from your favorite books and the world in which they live to bestseller lists and publishing news. Here's the inside story on your favorite story. Publishers Weekly Radio, with your hosts, Rose Fox and Mark Rotella. Hello and welcome to Publishers Weekly Radio on the web at publishersweekly.com slash pwradio and streaming free on iHeartRadio, iTunes, and audiobookradio.net. I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly. And I'm Rose Fox. I'm a Senior Reviews Editor at Publishers Weekly, and we're bringing you the very best of book talk directly from PW's offices in New York City, the heart of the book publishing world. On today's show, author Chris Harris discusses his new book, I'm Just No Good at Rhyming, and other nonsense for mischievous kids and immature grown-ups. Then PW Adult Books director Luisa Ermolino previews PW's Holiday Gift Guide. But first, here's a sneak peek at next week's Publishers Weekly Bestseller List, powered by NPD Bookscan. We've got a new number one and number two on the hardcover fiction list this week. Uh, number one is To Be Where You Are by Jan Karen, uh, the 14th book in the Mitford series. Uh, this is a generational family saga fiction, and uh, book number 14 is probably only going to be of interest to people who have been following the series so far. But there's a lot going on in here. There's the patriarch who's been trying to figure out how to define himself in retirement. There's been another wedding and also some marital conflicts. So big family saga drama stuff. We don't have a review of this one, but I'm sure that anyone who's been following the series will eagerly snap it up. It sold about 30,000 units right out of the gate, according to BookScan. Great. Number two is Haunted by James Patterson and James O. Bourne. We also don't have a review of this one. It's the 10th book in the Michael Bennett series. Bennett is a police officer, and he's ready for a vacation and heads up to a small town in Maine, but of course gets pulled into a mystery there, even when he thinks he's going to get to take a break. And again, this is one for series fans, but anyone who uh, likes reading Patterson's thrillers will happily pick that one up. At number four, we have The Cuban Affair by Nelson DeMille. We gave this a starred review. Set in 2015 during the early days of the thaw between the U.S. and Cuba, we say that this action-packed, relentlessly paced thriller introduces an army veteran who was wounded in Afghanistan and now lives in Key West as a charter boat captain. Uh, He has an enormous bank loan that he needs to pay off. He's existentially adrift, and he agrees to participate in a covert mission to Cuba for a substantial sum. And we say that uh, a line from the novel perfectly describes this page turner, sex, money, and adventure. Does it get any better than that? So that's that's, uh, that's what Nelson DeMille has given us, and that's at number four. Uh, going down much further at number 20, The Ninth Hour by Alice McDermott. We also gave this a starred review. McDermott's a National Book Award winner. And we say that she delivers an immense, brilliant novel about the limits of faith, the power of sacrifice, and the cost of forgiveness. And it's set in Brooklyn in the early 20th century, in which a young pregnant Irish immigrant returns to her shabby tenement apartment to find that her 32-year-old husband has committed suicide. And so she's got to figure things out for herself. Uh, We say that as in her other novels, McDermott exhibits a keen eye for character, especially regarding the nuns uh, who take her in and uh, take in the protagonist and help her figure things out and uh, work in their laundry to Mm. earn her keep. Uh, We say that Sister Lucy, who, quote, 
lived with a small, tight knot of fury at the center of her chest, is most memorable. I'm glad to see Alice McDermott on there, on the bestseller. I always am. Yeah, nice, nice to see that that's uh, doing so well. Yeah. Uh, just below that, at number 21, Batman, The Dark Knight, The Master Race, uh, by Frank Miller, uh, Brian Azzarello, and Andy Kubert. Uh, and Miller wrote The Dark Knight Returns in 1986, a graphic novel that uh, really set the tone for a lot of postmodern American comics. The Dark, Dark Knight Strikes Again came out in 2001. We say that that was slapdash and self-indulgent, but at least it was original. And we say for this, this, this third installment, Miller teams with a squadron of more grounded creators for a reasonably coherent and attractively drawn story that continues Miller's vision of Batman's later days. Uh, however, we say that uh, though it's competently executed, this comic book lacks either the lightning in a bottle brilliance of returns or the neon saturated looniness of strikes again. And that it's the last thing anyone could have expected from a Miller Batman comic with a Nazi reference in the title. It's forgettable. Oh, so hard hitting there. Yeah. Finally, down at number twenty-five, the Scarred Woman, a Department Q novel by U.C. Adler Olsen, which is translated from the Danish. So another one of those uh, Scandinavian mysteries that are doing so well in translation right now. We say that Scandinavian crime fiction fans will find this installment satisfyingly dark, both in tone and content. It's the seventh Department Q novel, and Department Q is Copenhagen's cold case division. And so they're investigating uh, cases that have been lingering and lingering unsolved and unclosed. And we say that the parallel storylines make this an undeniable page-turner, but the portrayal of female characters as morally bankrupt or irreparably damaged may strike some readers as chauvinistic. All right. That's what we've got on the hardcover fiction list. Well, we've got quite a few in nonfiction. I'll just hit the big ones. Um, uh, we've got our, our, our highest debut is at number two, Killing England, The Brutal Struggle for American Independence. Uh, this is part of Bill O'Reilly's Killing series. What's interesting about this is that while it's number two, it's, uh, it's, it's sold about 65,000 copies, and his debut books usually are in the six figures. So mm. um, it's a little bit uh, – Actually, quite a bit fewer than fewer copies than has been sold with his previous books. So he's being outsold by Hillary Clinton in her second week. Indeed. 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 Uh, number three, we have the TB12 method. How to achieve a lifetime of sustained peak performance by Tom Brady, uh, star quarterback of the New England Patriots. Uh, number five, the paradigm, the ancient blueprint that holds the mystery of our times. Um, I'm just going to move over to another kind of self-help principles, life and work by Ray Dalio. Ray Dalio found an investment firm in Bridgewater called Bridgewater Associates in 75. And uh, he's a successful invent investor and entrepreneur. And here he shares some of his unconventional ideas and principles. At number seven, we have the autobiography of Gucci Mane by Gucci Mane with Neil Martinez-Belkin. We, we had an idea that this would be on the top 10, definitely the top 20, but top 10, just because Gucci Mane is just is one of the biggest names in uh, hip hop right now. And mm. he's got a big following of, um, of, of, of hip hop artists who's followed him. So uh, a lot of people want to read about this, this person who grew up in Alabama and is really Defined the uh, uh, the uh, Georgia Atlanta Georgia uh, hip hop scene. Quite a few musicians and, and uh, mixers and 
sound people coming out of there. At number 12, we have High Performance Habits, How Extraordinary People Become That Way by uh, Brendan uh, Burkhard. Uh, this is another, this is, we're seeing more and more uh, self-help uh, books. Um, another one is The Grown-Up's Guide to Teenage Humans, How to Decode Their Behavior, Develop Unshakable Trust, and Raise a Respectable Adult. Uh, so a parenting title, another self-help of parenting. Josh Ship. this is at number 20. And we have a few more, but one that I want to talk about, this is The Templars, The Rise and Spectacular Fall of God's Holy Warriors by Dan Jones. Um, we say Jones's narrative history of the Order of the Poor Knights of the Templar, which is popularly known as the Templars, will have wide appeal among those who appreciate well-sourced history told in an easy, readable fashion. This is an engrossing examination of a period whose conflicts are still reverberating today. Uh, so at number 23, we have a mind at home with itself. How asking four questions can free your mind, open your heart, and turn your world around. Uh, this is a Harper One title by Byron Kathleen Mitchell. And that's what we got. I'm Mark Rotella. And I'm Rose Fox, and this is Publishers Weekly Radio. Next up, Chris Harris tells us how he went from producing TV shows to writing rhymes for kids. We'll be right back. I'm Vanessa Panfield, the author of The Gang's All Queer, The Lives of Gay Gang Members, and you're listening to Publishers Weekly Radio. I'm Rose Fox. And I'm Mark Rotella, and you're listening to Publishers Weekly Radio, direct from the PW offices in New York City. Today, we've got Chris Harris in the office with us. His new book is I'm Just No Good at Rhyming and Other Nonsense for Mischievous Kids and Immature Grownups. Hi, Chris. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you you guys for letting me... uh... Come join you for a little bit. So, which are you? Are you a mischievous kid or are you an immature grown-up? <laughs> I guess I have to be the latter. Uh, I Clearly, I'm just no good at short titles either. But, um, uh, yeah, I... I um, when I wrote this, it was it was for my kids, but uh, the the truth is that it was it was also I was also writing a lot of things that just made me crack up too. So, yeah, I'm probably the most immature of of adults, unfortunately. <laughs> so you're a TV writer and producer. You've worked on shows like How I Met Your Mother and The Great Indoors. What made you decide to write a children's book? Well, really, it was for you know it was for my kids. Uh, you know, I, I like you said, I've done a lot of TV writing, but in the TV world, there are it, on any given show, there are 12 other writers and 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 100 crew members and directors and producers and executives. And I felt that urge to do something that was a little more directly for my kids. And um, as I've I've said before, like short term, short form poetry was about all I had the brain capacity for for uh, um, for writing for them. But also, as I um, you know, there's something about when you actually have kids that, for me at least, it took me back to when I was a kid and. That was such a powerful uh, memory uh, for me, and I wanted to try to capture that as well as capturing some of the uh, things that I saw my own kids going through. Um, do you have a background in poetry? Very, no. Um, in fact, I think, uh, you know, I, I've enjoyed it, and growing up, I loved, um, of course, you know, all the, all the big ones, Shel Silverstein, Dr. Seuss, there were about... 12 separate poems that I loved individually that I remember in my teenage years realizing that they were all written by Ogden Nash. Mm. And I thought, oh my gosh, Ogden Nash, that guy's amazing. <laughs> um, and uh, so I've always been, a, I've always loved them. Um, I think like most, like a lot of uh, kids, I dabbled in them when I was um, in my grade school years. And I think that might have been part of it is when my kids got to that age, that brought back that feeling of, oh yeah, there's something about poems and there's something about the short form of them that is uh, really appealing to kids. 
So tell us about that moment when you just sat down, not at your <laughs> desk for uh, for TV, and said, "I'm going to write this." What what was that like? It, it's funny. I don't think there was a single moment, but at at um, you know, f- for me, a lot of it was, uh, you know, poetry. You could say is about evoking an emotion in the in the in the reader, and for me. A lot of what I was doing was trying to make my kids laugh. Uh, both of my kids, I love, I love my kids. They're both great. I'd say they both came into the world like a little bit skeptical. <laughs> Who can blame them? <laughs> looking at the world, but they, uh, but it, it took a little bit for the ice to break. I'd say, and one of the things I enjoyed doing was finding those things that uh, that cracked them and made them laugh. And um, so there were there were a few poems that are that are in the book. The title poem, in fact is came directly from my experience just having fun with them and getting them to laugh and seeing the world mm-hmm. and seeing words in it from a different angle. So would you be willing to read a poem or two for us from your book? Because uh, there, we usually can't get away with this on the show, but they're so short and oh, fun. I love uh, it. That I, I think it uh, it might be entertaining for our listeners. Fantastic. Do, do you uh, have a... Uh, um, one in particular, or should I select one? Uh, here, here's one that I I like. This one. Oh right here. yeah, I so yeah, I love this one, and um, I'll talk about it now, but then I'll I'll talk about it after too. Right. Um, you know, some of these things. You know, there are a lot of poems that are trying to be funny, and there are a lot of poems that are me sort of and playing with the form with the kids, and then there are other poems that are just trying to capture a little bit of what it is to be a kid, and and some of them are. Some of them are lighter, like the idea that when you're when you're a kid, the idea that that sharing half your cookie is a tragedy of just the most imme- it's Shakespearean. You know, it, it, you might as well like all the all the actors are dead at the end of the play level of of tragedy if you can't have half your cookie and you have to give it to your sibling. Um, but other things are are feelings that I remember, um, and uh, I can remember as a you know second grader or third grader feeling. You know, I'm 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 actually pretty funny. I don't think of myself as quiet, but I haven't really said anything, and I'm standing on the edge of the playground. Um, but so here's this, yeah, this poem, and I saw a little bit of that in my own children sometimes. Um, this is called "I'm Shy on the Outside." I'm shy on the outside, but inside my head, I'm not at all shy. I'm outgoing instead. I'm chatty. I'm witty. I'm often hilarious, funny, and friendly, and downright gregarious. Ask me about me. I'll say, I'm a cut-up. Sometimes I can't even get me to shut up. Even though out here I'm minimal-worded, deep down inside, I am so extroverted. I'm the life of the party here under my skin. So keep knocking. Someday I might let you in. Oh, that's so sweet. And I absolutely know kids and adults who are yeah. like that. Oh, yeah, I should say. Yeah, I, I'm saying that so this was all people. I'm saying this was all when I was a kid. <laughs> but you should see me at a at the party I went to like 5 days ago and I'm standing around looking for the looking for the CD collection that doesn't exist so I can just pretend to be staring at that. Um, <laughs> I remember those days. <laughs> and here's another one. Um maybe just read the first 3 uh stands is this one it, it kind of feels a little bit uh the, the same in the same vein the same theme maybe but yeah the- yeah i'll read the uh, just through here you're saying sure great you'll never feel as tall as when you're 10 you start out small and grow but then from 10 you just get small again don't look at me so quizzically i don't mean smaller physically we grow into a smaller small as women and as men 
At 10, the world's your oyster. It's a playland. It's a toy store. And you're confident and boisterous, and nothing can't be mended. The future looks so beautiful, all problems seem uprootable, and nothing so inscrutable your mind can't comprehend it. But then from 10, you start to see the limits of what you can be. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, so how can you rhyme oyster, toy store, and boisterous, and then call your book "I'm No Good at, at, at Rhyming"? It's a, how, how did <laughs> I got better? Um, no, uh, I don't know. I, I, um, I also I remember having that rhyme and feeling because that's obviously a a more serious poem as well. And I remember thinking, "Gosh, should I just play it? Is the rhyme taking away from the um, from the?" from the seriousness of the poem, the, the playing of that rhyme. Mm -hmm. And then I decided, well, it's kind of part of it. Cause that's, that's the happy part of that um, mm -hmm. poem. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I, there's a little, I didn't realize it until sort of looking at the collection as a whole, but there are a few, there's a little bit of definitely me looking back at childhood for the kids and, mm -hmm. and hopefully giving them a little bit of perspective that that's hopefully not, um, hopefully not depressing, um, but, but more just enjoy the idea of like, this age is so great that you're in right now and, uh, enjoy it and, and really, uh, enjoy that playground of life that you're in right now. Um, and, you know, I, I try to give kids as much credit as they can. And that means that there's a little bit, you know, so many great books even have that message of, you know, if you, if you dream it, you can do it and, and try and you'll succeed. And I think that's great. But then there's also a, a, a sort of a more, I guess, a more nuanced message that uh, would be that, you know, sometimes it doesn't all work out all right. And that's all right, too. And uh, for me, that's a little bit of what that poem is about, which is, um, you know, it's, well, I think that's what it's about. Yeah, you know, and, and, you chose the number 10. I mean, you, you said you're looking back at your life, but you chose the age of 10. Was it a rhyming or, or, <laughs> or was it really just, just a time when – and I, we were just talking briefly before the show uh, – that we, we, we have kids the same age and it's right about this time that they really change into something else. Yeah, yeah. And we're – you know, we're – yeah, we're fortunately right still on the edge and, and everything. But, but teenage years are tough. Yeah. And this is um, – this is not a book that's technically about that age, but it, I guess in a way it, it is looking ahead a little bit towards, uh, towards that age. And if, if a kid sort of remembers that, okay, this is something that everyone goes through and, and that gives a little bit more perspective to them than, than fantastic. Um, yeah. And, and then also there's a lot of things you can rhyme 10 with. So <laughs> very convenient. I, was like, I was definitely, I, I tried 13 for a while and I got nowhere. So, Dorteen. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so some of your poems make reference to other poems. You've got a sort of nested series. How did you come up with that? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, or um, what was it like? <laughs> what was it like to write that? To sort of craft yeah. that? Well, I'll tell you, it was that was more. You know, I didn't really expect. You know, like I said, I wrote these for my kids. I didn't really expect that something would happen. Of course, always one always hopes that that one can get a to show it to more people than just one's kids. But, um, you know, I, I went down a path of things that I thought were funny and I grew up, um, some of the, my most favorite moments from growing up were, um, those things that were both books and, um, and TV shows and movies where 
uh, you get they got a little meta. I guess it was even before you, people used the word meta, but mm. uh, things like um, Monty Python and, and David Letterman, and and in terms of books, um, I'm reading the Phantom Tollbooth to my kid right now. Oh yeah, and I mean it's just it's just full of that stuff where you just look at other where you're just forced over and over again to see things from a different perspective and and think, oh my gosh, I didn't realize you could do that. And this is the dumbest um, this is the dumbest reference ever, but I can vividly remember. Um, in Trading Places, a moment where Eddie Murphy just stops and looks directly at the camera because somebody else has said something so stupid that he can't believe it. And the idea that someone in a movie could look at us, it just, it, it sort of blew my mind back then. And I think some of this writing is me taking some of those influences. And I don't know if this would, you know, I, I, I wouldn't presume to call this like Letterman for kids or, or Monty Python for kids, but there, I, I really had fun creating callbacks and characters from this poem suddenly show up in another poem and completely uh, derail it and uh, playing with the form. And, you know, we, we don't just have an index of the poems that are in there. We have an outdex of all the poems that didn't make it in. And um, <laughs> yeah, and, and I think the publisher was so um, generous and patient, I would say is probably a good word in terms of letting me pursue all these weird things like uh there's a poem of the, where these in the middle of the book where these uh, parents forget to teach their kid the number eight and uh it leads to all sorts of pr problems for the kid but then i thought oh wait what if those parents are the ones that uh are actually doing the page numbering for this book and so we leave out any number that has the digit eight <laughs> in it and so the page numbers are like 76 77 79 90 um and that that i i could hear people rolling their eyes all all over the uh the floor of the publisher but they were so great in letting me uh, do all that so it really sounds like you're just breaking the fourth wall into tiny little pieces. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Cause I think that was the most fun for me. Another, another um, part of that for me was, you know, I remember growing up books are so felt so um, not distant, but they, they felt so lofty. They, they're these almost these sacred tomes that were handed down um, uh, and, and, and authors were like gods and, I think one difference, because I break the fourth wall so much, one difference uh, for me in this book is the author of this book is just a complete train wreck. Uh, you know, we're, I, I, I forget how to rhyme words that I think kids will have fun sort of correcting the writer of the book. Um, in the middle of the book, I get into an argument with my illustrator that, that almost turns the whole book upside down. Um, so I, I, I had fun sort of bringing the author down to earth in this book and hopefully the kids will, will respond to that. And if they, if one of the things in their back of their mind is, wow, if this bozo can write a book, then I bet I can do something cool like that too. Then, and that would be great. And there's even, I mean, you have a lot of fun with it, as you said. I mean, there's even a little bit of Cole Porter reference. Uh, there's a line that we actually put in our review, nothing is impossible, every tooth is flossable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think at the end, it ends with every yak's a, a, a loss of bull. So, <laughs> so um, I couldn't believe, I remember reading that Cole Porter reference yeah. and I was like, I, 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 I think I told, I emailed my wife and said, you have to post this on Facebook because I can't because it's, it's me bragging, but you have to post this <laughs> bragging about me because I really want people to know. Even, right. if, even if this only sells 11 copies, right. uh, I, I want people to know that somebody somewhere said I was, I, I was like Cole Porter. I loved that. It was so, and, and by the way, so ridiculously over the top, but 
yeah, it, I had fun playing with playing with the words. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break, but don't go away. Book lovers everywhere love Publishers Weekly Radio, now on iHeartRadio.com. PW Radio brings you the best of books and book publishing news. PW editors Rose Fox and Mark Rotella offer lively interviews with your favorite authors and conversations with new authors you'll want to get to know. I'm Rose Fox. And I'm Mark Rotella. Join the community of book lovers at PW Radio. Every Friday and now on demand at iHeartRadio.com. Welcome back. We're talking with Chris Harris, author of I'm Just No Good at Rhyming, which we have already disproven. So you mentioned getting into this uh, argument with your illustrator. And in fact, you wrote a poem titled I Don't Like My Illustrator, <laughs> even before Lane Smith ended up illustrating the book. So how did Lane take that, uh, signing on to this and then finding out that you had picked a fight <laughs> like in advance? I, for, for, fortunately, he was he was incredibly good natured about it. Um, I will I will say I I I love my illustrator. I can't believe what he did. Uh, it was amazing, and you know you always you know when you when you hand something off to somebody else, there's always a little bit of trepidation. What will they do? What will they? How will they interpret things? And uh, what he did uh, with uh, with his wife Molly is just I, I so far above and beyond. Like you know, I I, I handed in this gr- set of poems. With some um, just sample illustrations of my own, and, and my my right my drawing is terrible. I still, you know, the arms of my people still come out of their heads. Like I haven't <laughs> I haven't gotten any better since I was two. Um, and what Lane did is just breathtaking, and he really created a language all of his own. Um, so yeah, I had this. I had that silly idea that um, oh maybe they maybe they get into a little bit of a skirmish uh, in the middle of the book. And he not only took it, but he just ran with it. In fact, he um, it was he who had the idea for what ended up becoming the opening salvo in this little rivalry. At the very beginning of the book, there's a dedication page, and I dedicate the book to my family. And then Lane, uh, right below that, uh, decides to also dedicate the book to to my family. And, and that starts a little bit of like a like, hey, what are you doing, buddy? Don't you have other people of your, your own to dedicate to? And that sort of starts this sort of tense relationship between us. Um, and it, it goes into Lane deciding that a bunch of my poems are, are too ridiculous to illustrate and stopping me halfway through a few poems. And then finally, I get fed up and I write this poem called, I Don't Like My Illustrator. And it ends with uh, me wondering what uh, Lane will draw to accompany this um, this poem. And it, uh, of course, what he does is draw a incredibly hideous uh, portrait that says, "This is what Chris Harris looks like," <laughs> uh, which is probably s- still slightly better than my publicity photo. But uh, we had a lot of fun um, doing it. And and one of the one of the interesting things was because I wrote it talking about like picking the word picking the age ten to rhyme with. Um, one of the, uh, one of the things, you know, I wrote was, I don't like my illustrator. Of course, in order to get that to rhyme, I had to refer to the illustrator as, as a female the entire time. In fact, I really hate her. Uh, I wonder what I'll, she'll draw right now. I guess I'll find out later. Uh, so it was, it was, and then fortunately we had a, I just happened to be luck that we had a, we ended up getting an illustrator who was not only a list and someone who is fantastic, but also someone who has uh, an ambiguous first name. <laughs> right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the illustrations. I'm flipping through it. The the the, the book is you know black writing, but with 
gold or is it brown uh, uh, titles? And the illustrations themselves almost seem kind of like 50s, uh, 60s, some futuristic, but they're they're, they're simple. And they're lovely. And like, yeah. yeah. I, this, is, this is where you'll see how um, little I really understand the illustration process. Yeah, they're cool. <laughs> so, I, I, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I, I, that sounds all right. I, I couldn't even tell you there is something to it, and that he uses different textures and different um, style. And in a few places, he he takes some sort of photographic style mm-hmm. that I also don't understand. So I don't know, but it all fits together in yeah. a really beautiful way. I think a lot of people don't know that when you write a, a children's picture book or a children's book like this, you don't come into it with an illustrator. Your your publisher provides a sort of author-illustrator dating service. So how yeah. did that work out for you? Um, what what was that process like for you? Can you give us a little bit of a sort of inside glimpse? Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know how much of a glimpse I can give you. It Obviously, it worked out great because mm. we, got, we got Lane Smith. Um did your editor approach you with suggestions for illustrators, a Thanks. few different ones, something like that? Yeah, she. Uh, it was an interesting process for me too because I, I, I didn't know that until I um, got started. Uh, fortunately, uh, our editor uh, Andrea had lots of very clear ideas about it, which I think was really helpful to me because you know I was sort of stumbling into this. Uh, I didn't really know what I was doing. The one thing that everyone agreed on, though, was that there was uh, no way that my own illustrations were going to ever see the light of day. <laughs> I think we all we all sort of started from that very clear starting point. Um, uh, yeah, Andrea had a um, uh, a number of ideas, and, and Lane was you know really at the top of her list. And um, I had to go. You know, we'd had some books by Lane, but I, I had to go back and remind myself. Oh, oh, right, this is the guy who did uh, um, the the uh, Three Little Pigs and, and Gappers of Fripp and, and all these other classic books to me. At the same time, I didn't know what style he would bring to the book itself. Um, but that is, uh, you know, that's one thing about writing a book that is in a way comparable to television is that the writer is just a part of the process. Uh, with il- publishing it, the writer is a much bigger part of the process uh, than with television. But there, uh, you know, the the words were my domain, and the illustrations were Lane's, and I, I, it's a good thing because I would never would have been able to steer anyone in the direction that he found. Did you get to do any kind of back and forth with him on the illustrations? You get sketches and drafts. We did a. There were a few. I I had very few notes when I saw them. I had a uh, one. I, I got to visit him um, uh, one time during the process, and. While we were there, we we knocked out. There was one um, poem that we all, everyone was having a little bit of trouble with, and the idea was, it's a poem about, um, it's a poem that's trapped inside this box, and it ended up being this, uh, these brick walls all around this poem, and it's a poem talking about how sometimes you feel trapped, but if you really think about it, there's always a way to get out. And my, what I was trying to go for was that what this poem was going to do was going to be a, a great escape. This poem was going to actually burrow down onto the page below it and then get out that way. And I, I went through like about, it felt like 17 back and forths with my editor and then with Lane and, and Molly uh, trying to get across this idea. And I was unable to, which is too bad because I'm supposed to be the words guy. Uh, 
And, but uh, once we got together and I sort of and we sort of sat down and figured it out, he was able to uh, or figured out what I was talking about. Um, he was able to create a really cool form where it looks like there's a hole in the page and then you see the words start to go under. And then if you flip the page, there are the last words of the poem right there that um, went right under the brick wall. That's so cool. What a, what a <laughs> it was great, really fun. What a great concept. And it's yeah. a very television concept. Like you're talking about Monty Python, and I can absolutely see that as an animated little Terry Gilliam <laughs> thing. Yeah, yeah. That, oh, yeah, that, I love that. Um, but translated somehow into the static book where the, the reader provides the animation by turning the page. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And as Lane said, actually thinking outside the box uh, in this particular case. And did you test run these uh, poems by your kids you know, after dinner at bed? All right, all right, here we go. I got another, <laughs> got another one for you. <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, they're, they're, they're tough but fair. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and there are some – What I, it's been really fun for me now that the book – you know, this is um, another difference between TV and, and publishing that I'm still uh, getting my head around was – the lead time is so long in this thing. The you know we've um, some of these I wrote a number of years ago, um, just because it takes so long to put it together and 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 make a book beautiful, and it doesn't take as long for some of the TV shows I've been on. What that means for me is that finally the book is out, and it's been really fun for me to see what poems people have gravitated toward, and what ones not so much. And some of them are right in line, like um, the poems you've chosen are are, are two of my favorites. Um, and then other times someone will say, oh, this thing is my favorite. And I'd say, really? I, I almost <laughs> cut that. Um, but I, but yeah, that's been really fun to see. Uh, I, I do want you to just to read just, I know it's a we talked about it just a little bit before, but I don't like my illustrator. Uh, just, uh, <laughs> and there's the, and the, it's there's a beautiful a portrait of you. <laughs> mad goblin of, a <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. I don't like my illustrator. I must confess that I don't like my poem's illustrator. They told me, Lane is great, but man, I think I really hate her. I swear that I drew better when I was a second grader. You won't believe my endless list of reasons to berate her. I told her, draw a staircase, but she drew an escalator. I told her, draw a circle, but she drew me the equator. I told her, draw a crocodile, she drew an alligator. I'm sorry if this criticism starts to irritate her, but if she doesn't step it up, I'll get somebody greater. But I've been smart, for as of now, I haven't even paid her. I wonder what she'll draw right here. I guess I'll find out later. <laughs> <laughs> and then the drawing. <laughs> With a footnote at the end. Uh, also, for the record, I'm a he, not a she. <laughs> So, what is the biggest difference between writing for TV and writing a book? You've talked a little bit about some of the contrast. <laughs> um, the uh, the uh, positivity is way <laughs> way up, and the money's <laughs> the money's almost equally down. <laughs> um, I, I for me, it's been, and it, I I did touch on this earlier. For me, it's been the idea that. Uh, Lane's drawings aside, the 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 final product is very much a um, is very much f what I wrote, and that's really really exciting to me, and especially showing it to my kids and their friends. Um, and there's a little bit that's scary about it too, because um, if somebody doesn't like it, 
then I can't say, oh well, the 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 lighting was off or something like that. I or the the uh, you know yeah we it it would have been better, but we were told to change the story. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there's a little bit less of a, a net in that sense, but uh, I, I I do I do love that element of it that it's more directly to me and and the reader. And uh, this is your first children's book. As we mentioned, you got rave reviews coming out of the gate. Oh my gosh. Is that inspiring you to do more? Yeah, I, I, it's, it's cra- I, I am desperately trying to uh, synchronize those reviews with my low self-esteem. But um, and don't worry, I'm sure my self-esteem will win out. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to, I don't know exactly what's next, but uh, yeah, I loved the response. Um, I love the idea of um continuing this and talking to kids directly through the books and um sharing with them both uh whatever weird sense of humor and whatever um little bit of perspective I can give them and and like I said if they are uh if they come out of this inspired to do their own writing or they they think gosh I didn't know I could do that I I wonder what else I can do um then that would be awesome but I definitely want to keep going with this and I I really uh, love and appreciate all the response so far, and maybe we'll we'll start hearing some uh, rhymes on uh, maybe how I met your mother or the great indoors. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna have to yeah crossbreed <laughs> right, now. Right. Take some of this back to the right, TV. Right. I brought some TV into the book, right? Right. So I think you're right. I'm gonna have to bring some book yeah. back into my TV world. I love that idea. <laughs> Are you getting to do school and library visits or anything like that? I'm just starting it up, and I, I love it. I've done a few. Um, and uh, I'm actually got to figure out what I'm reading uh, uh, tomorrow to to uh, uh, at a couple school assemblies. Uh, yeah, it's been it's so much fun, and uh, I've, I've especially loved. You know, sometimes I'll start off. There are a few poems in there that start off a little serious, and then about halfway through, you realize, oh, now this is going in a totally different direction. And that's been a lot of fun to share with the kids because they don't know me and they don't know what they're getting into. And at first they might think, oh gosh, there's this guy, another one of these assemblies. And then it just goes off the rails really fast. So it's been, it's been fun. Did you always want to be a performer? Because I can hear it in your voice when you're reading your poems that you have that real knack for it and rhythm. No, this is one of those face your fears kind of thing for me. <laughs> I, I'll say I, I've 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 loved it and and I've enjoyed it, but I've also mostly played to um, friendly crowds, like at my own kids' school and and, and things like that. Um, I it 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 beats uh, it beats sitting in a room by myself and and staring at a blank screen though. <laughs> We've been talking with Chris Harris, and you can find his book, I'm Just No Good at Rhyming, in stores right now. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. I'm Rose Fox. And I'm Mark Rotella, and this is Publishers Weekly Radio. Next up, PW Adult Books director Louisa Ermolino talks about PW's holiday gift guide. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm David Handler, the author of The Girl with the Kaleidoscope Eyes, and you are listening to Publishers Weekly Radio. I'm Mark Rotella. And I'm Rose Fox, and you're listening to Publishers Weekly Radio, direct from the PW offices in New York City. Every week we get insider info from Publishers Weekly editors and contributors, and today PW Adult Books director Louisa Ermolino is here to tell us all about some great gift books. Hello, Louisa. Hello. Hello. Nice to be here. It's nice to have you. It's been a while. Yes. So uh, we've got this gift guide coming out, our picks for fun holiday presents. Do you have any highlights that you'd like to share with us? Sure. Well, the editors have picked 
books in their categories. But the first one I wanted to start with is we interviewed some booksellers mm. who are always on the front line and getting things early. And of course, they know their customers and their market, and they have great taste. So I'd like to mention a couple of those. One of them is um, there's a book of Annie Leibovitz's portraits from 2005 to 2016. And this is from Tracy Taylor at Elliott Bay Books in Seattle, which is a major bookstore. And as she says, who doesn't love Annie? There's new photos and iconic works. Mm. So that's a great a great gift for somebody, almost anybody. And then this is an unusual cookbook dinner with Dickens, recipes mm. inspired by his life. That comes from the book barn Denver. Are they historical recipes? Do they have some Victorian origins? Uh, yes. They're taken from his novels. Mm. Oh, so, great. And, of course, there's, I'm sure, a Christmas dinner and right. a goose, which, <laughs> if you've ever cooked, is a disaster is it? because it's 80% fat. Um, then there's, you know, we've been so involved in politics for good and for bad. There's a book from Picador called Nasty Women, Feminism, Resistance, and Revolution in Trump's America which is an anthology. There's a lot of feminist women in there, but it's recommended from the from Jamie Thomas, who's the store manager in Women and Children's First in Chicago. Mm, okay. And staying with that theme, there's a book with pictures of Obama called Obama, an Intimate Portrait, which is books taken by his official photographer for the eight hours Eight hours, eight years. It feels like eight hours now. Eight eight years he had an office, which um, Robin Allen at Forever Books in St. Joseph, Michigan, says she's going to actually increase her order after she saw it. Oh, I know that um, the photographer is doing a tour to promote the book. He's got some events lined up. Yeah, for that should be fabulous. And then um, going through the categories, cookbooks, and I always like anything dealing with um, different cuisines. And there's one that sounds very interesting. It's called King Solomon's Table, a culinary exploration of Jewish cooking from around the world. And that's out from Knopf. It has the origins and evolution of Jewish cuisine. And, you know, that includes a lot of cuisine, so it should be really interesting. And then we have Osteria. A thousand generous and simple recipes from Italy's best local restaurants. And what can I say? Everybody loves Italian food. And science fiction. We have a book called The Weight of Words, an illustrated anthology of 12 stories, which I think it's always nice to have um, illustrations with science fiction so that it appeals to lots of people, not just science fiction fans. And then sports, there's a book of Muhammad Ali called Ali, A Life, an exhaustive biography. Again, someone who everyone loved. And Mysteries and Thrillers, which are always very popular and great gifts. And Nelson DeMille has a new one out called The Cuban Affair, set in 2015, during the early days of the thaw between the U.S. and Cuba. And DeMille's a bestseller who... That one just hit our bestseller list this week. I was okay. just going to ask. Yep. So you can get it for people for a gift. Then there's a continuation of the Dragon Tattoo books, The Girl Who Takes an Eye for an Eye, a Lizbeth Salander novel. 
So that's something that um, would appeal to a lot of people. And another iconic writer, John Le Carré. Is that how you pronounce it? Mm -hmm. A Legacy of Spies, The Return of British Agent George Smiley. And those have also been on our bestseller list for the last couple of weeks. So definitely a lot of people are agreeing with our assessment there that those are books to pick up. Yeah. And then um, Crafts and Hobbies, which is always a favorite because it's a big book. And we have one, Grow Your Own, Understand, Grow Your Own, Understanding, Cultivating, and Enjoying Cannabis. Very, All right. Very of the moment. Yes. Yeah. Lots of books on cannabis coming out. Yeah. And we also have Japanese Knitting and Norway mitten designs oh so i think you can find those anywhere yeah, yeah. <laughs> um business which is kind of particular the end of advertising this book has been getting a lot of attention it's a random house book why it had to die and the creative resurrection to come so i think this is something we've all been aware of you know there's ad free tv now mm. there's internet ad blockers and yeah. what's in the future you know, and I think advertising has actually gotten more annoying. There were great <laughs> ads when yeah. you were forced to watch them, but of course now nothing's great if you don't have to watch it. Um, leading Lady, Sherry Lansing in the Making of a Hollywood Groundbreaker. That's good for everyone interested in women in Hollywood, all two of them. And my personal favorite, The Schmuck in My Office, How to Deal Effectively with Difficult People at Work. Hopefully they're not in your office, but... We had the author on the radio show, and uh, it was actually a, a great discussion of the, the different types of schmucks and <laughs> yeah. the different ways of yeah. dealing with them. It was very, very forthright and entertaining. Yeah, well, we've always got one, unless we're really lucky. And biographies and memoirs, there's one by Al Franken, giant of the Senate. Very astute. You know, this is the comedian turned senator, and he recalls his unlikely path to public service. We also have a biography of Stevie Nicks, um, the Fleetwood Mac singer, and to go 360 degrees, Gorbachev, his life and times, um, retraces Gorbachev's strenuous climb up the Communist Party ladder. Some Great. of those very interesting. And last but not least, audio. Yeah. Um, Welcome to Night Vale, the vinyl edition. This is a very popular, mysterious podcast mm. that um, they've made into an audiobook that our review says proves to be just as special as the town it's set in. And then Hunger, a memoir, Roxane Gay, mm -hmm. who reads the book herself about um, dealing with weight. And again, 360, The Idiot. By Dostoevsky, read by Konstantin Gregory. And it's a update of the classic 1869 novel. It's not an update of the story, but having it read is a new way of dealing with it. And um, The Magpie Murders, Anthony Horowitz's book that honors and pokes fun at the Golden Age detective novels. Great. Well, thank you so much. And All right. So the, the whole thing is going to be coming out uh, this week, this, I think. Yeah, this coming Monday. Monday's issue. Monday, yes. Great. And it's a behemoth. It's yeah. a big one. This yeah. is this is a ever growing uh, uh, issue yes. for us. Yeah. So great. Usually so our popular. listeners can pick it up. 
Yes, that's right. And find it all on our website, too. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Louisa. Always great to have you on the show. Thank Thank you. you. And now a final word from our sponsors. Beyond the headlines, beyond the routine, beyond the book, I'm Chris Keneally, host of Copyright Clearance and his podcast series, Beyond the Book. And I'm Andrew Albany, senior writer at Publishers Weekly. Join us each Friday for a publishing news week in review podcast unlike any other. Learn all the breaking news and catch the best analysis on developments in the book trade, copyright law, and much more. You already know business as usual. Now go Beyond the Book. Listen to the free series and subscribe at beyondthebook.com. And that's it for today's show. I'm Mark Rotella. And I'm Rose Fox. And you've been listening to Publishers Weekly Radio. Join us next week for another exciting author interview. We'll also have lots more juicy insider info on best-selling books and the nuts and bolts of publishing. In the meantime, you can listen to this and every episode of Publishers Weekly Radio absolutely free at publishersweekly.com slash pwradio. Subscribe to our podcasts on iHeartRadio and iTunes and hear every new episode streamed live on audiobookradio.net. Check those sites every week for a brand new episode giving you the inside story on your favorite story. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Publishers Weekly Radio Show. 